One of them is piecemeal implementation. And okay. we've all made this mistake, right? Yeah. We all have implemented a CRM without really thinking through where we are going with it from a process standpoint or, or an ERP. Yeah. Well, at this company, we had done the same thing. We had stood up Salesforce. We were doing digital marketing. We, we, we happen to have a legacy Sage uh, product on, on the back end of the business. And so we had some of these platforms set up. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. What could you do if your business were not able to break through and grow as expected? What would you do if your close rate were extremely low? And you could not do anything about it as your channel controlled the sales process. While there are several options to help with this issue, including going DTC, the path is extremely risky, especially if you might be taking this path for the first time on such a massive scale. But careful planning and a well thought out process beforehand can save you a lot of headaches during the project phase. In today's episode, our guest, Phil Kerper, shares his insights into executing on DTC strategy. He also describes how to determine whether your business should be pure distribution-led, purely DTC, or hybrid. Finally, he shares his journey of building the business case, getting approval from the board, and the challenges he faced to ensure that the project remained on time and on budget. Let me introduce Phil to you. Phil Ringling Kerper is the Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. Phil has over two decades of CEO expertise, leading nine global mid-market companies for five different ownership groups. Phil has a hands-on and proven track record of leveraging digital transformation and technology investment to drive business expansion and growth, delivering consistent double-digit top-line growth and doubling of bottom-line results. Ringling Business Solutions help CEOs win digital transformation and get digital technology to speak business. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Phil. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Wonderful to be here today. Thank you. And I am so excited to have you to discuss some of the stories of the transformation that you have been involved in. I mean, obviously, the results are fascinating. But what I am really interested in knowing how you did it. Just to get things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Phil? 
Sure will. Sam, uh, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I've been leading companies from the C-suite for the last 25 years. Yeah. I work with four different investment groups, including private equity and family-owned businesses, and I've run nine different companies across the world, in Europe and South America and throughout uh, North America and China. And in each case, we had an amazing transformation that used the, the current digital tools of the day and the current business model to really have the outcomes of the business be dramatically great for the owners. So I'm coming to you today, coming off of an eight-year uh, stint as a president of a company, and that particular experience over the last several years is what I'd really like to talk about today. Yeah, and it's going to be really hard to match the kind of experiences you have had because you were really into the trenches when you were doing these transformations. So I'm pretty sure you are going to have very compelling stories. And we are going to dig into all of that. Before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be, Phil, your perspective on business growth. Well, I think that there's tremendous headwinds today just in the near term. If we've yep. learned anything from COVID and now the supply chain, it's how disruptive the markets can be for us as leaders of our businesses. So now more than ever, really understanding the value of the business and understanding how to provide that value to your customers and make sure that their journey to get that value, that you're participating in every step of that journey is so important. But, but Sam, if we've learned anything, it's that disruption is happening around us and we either are going to be the disruptors or the disrupted. Yeah, I love that perspective. So obviously, you know, this perspective is great, but as you have been the executive for a very long time, we all need to be slightly practical as well so that the disruption is going to be digestible, you know, and that's every single executive wants. And, and that's what we are looking to hear from you, how to make this disruption digestible so we can attack these things in pieces as opposed to boiling the ocean. So let's dig right into the story of the transformation that you really wanted to discuss. So describe the kind of business it had. Maybe take us back before the transformation. Describe the business model. Describe, you know, how many different channels did you have? You know, what was the existing system architecture? What were the core challenges? What were the drivers that actually drove the transformation that you really wanted to pick on? Okay, so it's it, it was uh, a consumer products company. It was a manufacturer of a product that went into home improvement and HVAC. Okay. Um, they, it, and as a manufacturer, it was discrete manufacturing, taking the product from flat metal all the way to finished goods okay. and shipping those. Okay. Primarily, the, the paying customer was a distributor. Okay. And then there was installing contractors downstream of them. Yeah. And then there was the end user, the homeowner, that ultimately was the user and the buyer of the product. Yeah. Now, like many of these mid market companies, it was a niche product. And there's good and bad to that, Sam. The, yeah. the good on that is you can be very fleet of foot. You yeah. can do a lot of things dramatically. The, the bad of that is it's hard to get these channel partners to give you the attention that you really need to grow your business, whether yeah. they're independent salespeople, yeah. distributors, contractors, whomever. Yeah. So our challenge was getting the, bis the traditional business model yeah. was that we would create pull by advertising to the consumer yeah. how great our product was, how it fit them. Yeah. And then we would try to create that pull so that the contractors and the distributors would pull the business through. 
through. Yeah. But we were not directly involved in all of those steps of those customer journeys. Okay. And so and so what happened was the business grew and then kind of just it just kind of went along. It was a profitable business. It was yeah. a nice business. Yeah. But it never really broke through. Yeah. And this is very similar to so many mid-sized companies that I've led. Yeah. Is that it's very hard to get breakthrough growth without really investing in the customer journey and yeah. the customer experience all the way down the line. The supply chain side of this is also challenging for mid-markets because yeah. they're not a huge buyer. So typically, yeah. they won't have two, three, or four suppliers of a single SKU because there's just not enough economies of scale. And also, typically, the processes are manual. Okay. And so there's a lot of hand-holding on inventory control, on scheduling of your facility, on the logistics getting product to market. And so this was also a burden for us is that if we were really going to impact and go towards omni-channel, which was our version of omni-channel I'll discuss in a second as the solution. Yeah. Then we also had to impact the back end of the business that it was fast enough and under control and had enough data-centric information so that the back end could support the front end strategy. Okay, amazing. So obviously, this is a great story, great colors there, you know, overall in terms of the business model. And you did mention that you had customer experience challenges, you also had the supply chain challenges. But you did mention that, you know, you had a very niche product, but that was not getting really the attention of your channel partners that you uh, you wanted to get. So describe to us a little bit more in terms of business model, what were the core objections? Why they were not giving you the, the attention when you had a niche product there, my understanding of the niche product is going to be, if that is going to be so unique in the market, they should be coming after you as opposed to you going after them. So why were they not giving you the attention? Well, first of all, our product was expensive. So there was, okay. there was less costly options that were available. Yeah. And some of the less costly options were core products for the channel partners, for okay. the distributors, contractors, and the other people, even the reps. Yeah. So even when we got an end user, a homeowner who was interested in our solution because it had better indoor air quality, it was aesthetically better, it was more efficient, all the things yeah. that we like to talk about, yeah. when, the, when they actually engaged to try to buy it, it was bumpy. <laughs> they could they could it was trouble finding a contractor uh, that wouldn't really say that's best they would almost cross sell you sometimes <laughs> and sometimes it was just hard getting the equipment because it was not a high moving equipment that distributors would stock and so the journey was was bumpy for the consumer and it was frustrating for the manufacturer that we had this great story to tell that really wasn't being told and that we weren't acquiring we we our our our, our loss our, our closure rates were were horribly low we would bring great amounts of of customers into the top of the funnel and very few would make it to the bottom that's very interesting so obviously you had a very interesting problem there the influencers who were really driving your deals they didn't have they didn't really believe that the the product was really compelling enough for them to choose and the, one of the driver could be cost and you wanted to retain your margins because obviously you had the niche product and probably you you had to keep those margins so you had to create something unique to be able to make sure that they are really going to become your champion so now describe what were the immediate priorities that you wanted to solve so that they become the champion in the conversation I am still not clear how you are going to overcome the objection 
of the cost against your competitors when you are talking to these weird channel partners because obviously they are very powerful. They are holding the customer, right? So, so there's some, there's some real interesting risk factors on the front end, and there's okay. a lot of businesses that get frozen here, right? Yeah. Because they don't want to make unhappy the people that are responsible for the current book of business. Yeah. And just to be clear, our channel partners did a great job of supporting us, okay. but they didn't do a good job of helping us grow. They okay. would kind of cherry pick the jobs and everybody would make good money versus really trying to position us where we thought we had earned our right to be positioned. So the 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 core thing that we thought through yeah. was how do we give choices? How do okay. we engage at every step of the buying process, the acquisition all the way to advocate process for that consumer? And how do we also engage with the other channel partners in a way that there were going to be choices? And the, the most controversial piece comes with our version of omni-channel. Yeah. We chose that instead of only having a buying customer being a distributor, that we're going to have a buying customer be a contractor, a homeowner, a distributor, or a builder, that we are going to allow all of these entities, all of these pieces to have the option to buy the product. But we did it in such a way that didn't disrupt the ability of those channel partners to make money and to add value. So basically, our omni-channel view was yeah. give choices and awareness to all the different points of the process yeah. and then engage. We use Salesforce along with Digital Cloud, yeah. stood that up to really engage with the journey. Then we stood up an e-commerce platform that also gave everybody the ability to buy at their tiered pricing yeah. and the ability to get numbers, quotes, engagement. And once we started personally really using that data to help the customer get to the next part in the journey, it was dramatic how much the business changed. Okay, very interesting. So I am actually going to rephrase my understanding to make sure that I got that. So initially you were selling through your distributors, your you know close rates were really low, and then you decided to go partially DTC and obviously by combining you know all of the experience to make sure that your distributor relationships are going to be protected. But the major factor that really worked for you is going to be, you know, uh, create a little bit of competition there, I guess, uh, you know, in your healthy competition, uh, in your distributors versus DTC and figure out how you are going to be investing your dollars, whichever channel was going to work for you. You know, I don't know if you did any sort of analysis, which was a better model, whether DTC was a better model or distributor, did you always wanted to do mix? What was your core strategy? Did you want it to do, go, did you want to go full blown DTC or were you okay? Let's say if you were next, the distributor plus DTC. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a great question. And we were purposely agnostic on okay. this. Okay. Our, our, well, our focus was the customer journey and experience. And okay. one of the things when we reached out and really heard the voice of the customer was that the lack of transparency yeah. and the bumpiness of the process yeah. was much more impactful to them than the ultimate price because they felt like they couldn't get a really good understanding of the pricing of, of the product. Okay. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to provide transparency yeah. and choice, but okay. we didn't sit there and say, we hope a certain percentage of the business gets purchased by directly from contractors or a certain percent gets purchased by homeowners. As a matter of fact, we were purposely agnostic on that. We wanted to make sure that anybody who was looking at our product that had some interest, yeah. that we were able to get some marketing interest in, yeah. that they had a journey that led them to a good opportunity to buy. 
buy. Whether they bought or not, there was a good opportunity to buy. And let me put one more piece out there, which is so important for businesses that are relying on third-party value-added channel partners. Yeah. The, the, the person before the homeowner in this case yeah. is extremely important. Their, that contractor experience is as important as the homeowner experience because yeah. if they also feel like this was easier to present, easier to get, easier to support for them, and their end user, their customer was happier with the experience, they were much more likely to do, use our product again over and over again. So we could not and did not want to jeopardize the experience of the contractor. We Our, our least concern, frankly, was the distributor, the wholesale distributor, yeah. because at that point in time, they weren't stocking much of our product anyways. So we wanted to keep them comfortable but we knew that the growth of the business was going to come through our relationship with the journey of the end user and the relationship with the person who's before that end user, which in this particular case was a contract. Okay, amazing. So let's say if I think from the, uh, you know, another manufacturing executive perspective, let's say if I'm running a home goods business right now, and one of the things that I am going to face in terms of visualizing how this customer journey is going to work, if I have always sold through contractors, I'm probably going to a bunch of, you know, trade shows. I'm probably acquiring my customers from there. I'm probably somehow have some sort of relationship there. Now you are telling me that, you know, uh, the, the journey is going to be in terms of, you know, some sort of web journey because that's where the experience is going to come from. Uh, you are going to have a bunch of data that you can analyze and figure out, you know, where the problem is in the bottleneck. So let's say if I'm the executive and I'm trying to figure out, okay, you are asking me to change my business. So I have always sold through distributors. Now I understand that I need to go DTC and I need to have this sort of mix in the customer journey. So let's say if I think from the customer journey perspective, how am I getting these choices? Let's say if I'm clicking on the options, how do I decide who decides, you know, whether to go for a contractor, whether to go directly with you, how is that journey going to work? Let's say if I am trying to find out whether this business model is going to work in my case, in my business or not. Right. So to that point, the, the the best way to answer those questions is to answer it outside in. Okay. So what's best for the consumer? It's in, in this particular case, what's yeah. best for the consumer is to have a contractor partner. Okay. There might be some do-it-yourselfers, yeah. but the, it's much better for the consumer to have a contracting partner. Now, if someone listening to this podcast, if in their case, the, the consumer product, or even let's say they're selling to a contractor or they're selling to another entity that's B2B. Yeah. It, it, if, if the support around them helps that project and helps that consumer with value, it's better to have that support around them and promote that. So in our particular case, we really promoted the um, contractor. Most of the consumers just wanted to buy a pieces part that they couldn't get, right? A replacement part or something like this. But if they wanted to buy a whole system, we would reach out to the consumer and say, hey, are you sure you don't want a contractor there with you helping you with this project? So I think it's I think it's in the eyes of your um, your customer from the contractor standpoint. Yeah, they they wanted well because and I'll come back to this a second time. Go ask, go okay. do surveys, do 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 real engagement, do roundtables, go ask groups of your customers or groups of your stakeholders. Where are the pain points? What do they really care about? Yeah. And then leverage that into your decision making. The contractors were frustrated. It was hard to get the equipment because it wasn't being stocked. We gave them the option that they could buy it 
and get it to them. But we also made sure that the we found out who their distributor was so we could keep the distributor informed that, hey, you have this customer. Yeah. He wants to do more of this product. And this is what he's saying. So transparency, partnership. And my advice is don't try to force the outcome. I want a certain percentage on. I want a certain percentage to this. I want a certain yeah. percentage to that. Even if that may be better gross margins, yeah. it's much better for the business and the growth of the business if you say, how do you make all of these different stakeholders engaged, get their pain points out of the way, and have their journey be great? Okay, amazing. So when I talk to you know my customers who are really struggling to understand you know how to go for this e-commerce experience when they have done the business traditionally, one of the problem they are going to face in visualizing the experience in visualizing the customer journey. So let's say, Phil, if you were to give me a walkthrough of the web experience, how the entire sales cycle is going to look. So give me a walkthrough of two uh, customer personas. One is going to be the your end customer and one is going to be your contractor. Both of them are coming to the web experience and what can they expect? Describe the whole journey. Describe the whole experience if you could. Okay. So 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 first of all, on the background of this, yeah, we have to develop the journey for each of those, in this case, these two stakeholder groups. So okay. we had to have a very specific journey for a consumer and a very specific journey for the contractor. Okay. And that's and that's a matter of just uh, engaging with with some of your customers and and walking them through how that journey is going to work and then getting the feedback. And one great thing about the digital tools now is you can get so much information just by where they stop, where they abandon, what they read, where they go on your website. You can get so much good information that informs you of how their journey is actually transforming. The second component of that, Sam, is we had to get them to represent who they were, right? Because they, if, if we don't if, if we don't know they're the uh, end user, or they're the contractor, we can't point them down that journey. So we set up our e-commerce sites, our websites and everything specific so that they could self-select the journey. But then we did one other thing that was interesting. Yeah. For them to get the most benefit yeah. out of the e-commerce site, be it pricing, be it information, be it holding a saved projects, all those things that they could get, for them to get that best pricing and best content support, they had to create an account. So our goal was to get them to create an account. Okay. Once the contractor created an account, I not only knew, and we not only knew they were a contractor, okay. we knew who they were. Okay. And then we could really help with that customer journey. Okay, amazing. So when you started this journey, describe the, the whole journey of the digital transformation. Obviously, you identified the customer journeys, you identified the, the personas. Uh, you know, what were the initial challenges when you started on this? Did you select the tool first before going on to the digital transformation? Or did you have some sort of, you know, pre-selection phase? Did you have to do any sort of, uh, you know, debates? Uh, obviously, you have a lot of experience in doing the digital transformation as well. But let's say people who are not going to have as much experience, what would be sort of your advice in planning this journey uh, before selecting the tool 
that is going to be the right fit for your business? This is a hugely important question. Thank you for asking this one because it's this is really where where success or or challenge begins. Yeah. So we we had already uh, the, one of the mistakes I talk about in 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 the content I'm putting out there now, which is how a digital transformation fails. One of them is piecemeal implementation. And okay. we've all made this mistake, right? Yeah. We all have implemented a CRM without really thinking through where we are going with it from a process standpoint or, or an ERP. Yeah. Well, at this company, we had done the same thing. We had stood up Salesforce. We were doing digital marketing. We we, we happen to have a legacy Sage uh, product on, on the back end of the business. Yeah. And, and, and so we had some of these platforms set up. And so what, what I... Uh, did starting with the board, starting with the ownership group, and starting with the senior executive team. Yeah. As I first started with the goal, is this current level of growth and of where the company is going good enough for everybody? Yeah. We can maybe tweak it up or down, but this business model, we already feel like we're getting a lot out of it. Yeah. And then if we want more, here's the investments and the risks round numbers that are likely to be involved. And I put together a presentation that basically drew the pillars yeah. of what a digital transformation would look like. And I shared that individually. I shared that in group. I shared that in multiple board meetings and really got everybody to talk through their understanding. Now, the challenge is, and this is nothing against the smartness and the intelligence and the capability of all of us, but most of us haven't spent our time on IT. Yeah. You know, most people that are in the boardroom or that are an owner of a business or that are even most of the participants on a senior leadership team don't have an IT background. So there was a lot of education yeah. on IT along yeah. with this. Then once we got the buy in that said, let's take a risk, let's make some investment yeah. and let's do something different to try to get that breakaway growth. What we did then is we already had Salesforce. And we already were well on our way to a digital marketing platform connected to Salesforce. Okay. So it was just a matter of let's call that a good choice. Okay. And then we actually did an RFP okay. for the e-commerce platform. Yeah. And so we looked at, we started with 10, okay. boiled it down to four, and yeah. then ultimately ended up picking EpiServer. Now, let me talk a little bit about using an RFP. Okay. On, uh, I think in most cases... If someone is standing up an a, a e-commerce platform, it's not a requirement. The reason we did it, and we hired a very good outside software consultant who had sold software to come in and help us. Yeah. The reason we wanted an RFP was to learn because yeah. the executive leadership team had never stood up an e-commerce platform. I had done several, Yeah. but I, I'm not good. I have to have that team there. Just by going through a disciplined process of really looking at all these different platforms and evaluating which one would be best for us and demoing them and understanding, having the leadership team understanding the language and the terms yeah. was tremendously helpful once we selected the e-commerce platform. Then the last thing we did, and this was debated whether it should have been earlier, yeah. is the last thing we did is the ERP system. Yeah. And we ended up we ended up going with Microsoft Dynamics, yeah. and and we we didn't do a formal uh, um, uh, proposal with that because we were we were a 365 house already. So we basically looked at Dynamics and a couple of other of the platforms and decided that Dynamics was a good choice for us and put together a plan for that. 
we we went live with the full digital uh, marketing piece of Salesforce four yeah. years ago. We went live with the e-commerce platform. Believe it or not, the March before COVID. Yeah, and then it was when we went to this more omni-channel, and then we went live with the um, ERP last year. And so it was a full transformation of the entire digital platform of the business. Okay, amazing story there. So, you know, so we are going to be discussing some of the facts that are prevalent in the industry. And from my personal experience, uh, those facts are sort of right. Okay. So in the industry, if you talk to any of the executives, okay, they all take slightly similar approach as you have described for any of the implementations that they might be doing. But as we both know, Phil, the failure rate of any of the digital transformation initiatives now depending upon how you define the failure that is still 70 to 80 percent okay so in your experience now let's talk about the differences whatever you have done in your approach versus what other people might be doing what do you think worked in your favor that you believe that you were successful with the digital transformation when others are clearly failing well it's it it's it's an old-fashioned answer but it works for this just as well and it's people and processes okay the first thing is the business processes and what what do you really want? What are the business outcomes we were trying to get from these digital tools? And what level of investment did we have to make to get those outcomes? Yeah, These, that's a very difficult question. And we asked that question over and over and debated it until we really felt like we had KPIs and out business outcomes that we were expecting this to deliver. Yeah. Both on the soft side of customer journey and experience, as well as on the hard side of inventory flow, lead times, margins, etc. So we did the hard work of saying, what are we really trying to accomplish? We did very hard work on business processes. I'm a firm believer is you can't expect a software package to fix a poorly defined business process. Yeah. You have to do the hard work of saying, what really is the value flow here that I'm trying to automate? And the last one, in my opinion, the most important is to really assess the people that are leading. This is change leadership and it gets deep into real project management. It gets deep into data management and data utilization and, and, and of the business. And there was a lot of people on staff and in the company that that were turned out to be superstars of the future. And there was a lot that, frankly, were left behind because it's, it was going to be a different way of running the business. So, number one, what business outcomes are you really trying to get? And okay. ask that question until you sure the answer. Number two, are your business processes aligned with what you're trying to do? And then you can say, is the software process aligned, hopefully as out of the box as you can get. Yeah. And then the third one is get your people engaged and get them excited about what's what the future is going to bring. Instead of them doing transition transactional work, you're going to have people that are looking at the data and making decisions that are making the business better, that are anticipating the supply chain problem, that are anticipating the stock outs that can see that there's a little flex in what the flow of the business is, or can see that we're losing customers at this point before the cart, or at this point when they're looking at a product and they can do things about that because of the input the input of the data coming back. Okay, amazing. So one of the problems that most of the executives are going to struggle in building the business case, especially if the board is going to be involved, it's very, very, very hard to sell to executives or, or to boards. And that is always the most challenging part in any of the digital transformation initiatives. So I don't know if you're in a position to just take us really deep dive 
into the proposal that you made. I really want those dollar figures. The PNL, describe the PNL. How did you build the PNL for your business case? And you know, when you presented it to board, what were their objections? Obviously, Phil, you are a you know salesperson. You can sell really hard to your to your executive, right? But let's say, what were their core objections? Did you analyze what kind of things that board is going to care for? What kind of problems they are going to foresee that you need to address? So what was that process like? So describe the, the business case in deep detail, if you could. Okay. So there, there's only so far, it's a private company. So there's only so far I'm going to be able to go into the, the P&L numbers, but, but, but um, I, a bunch of the other stuff I can certainly go, go deep for you on here. Okay. First of all, put the real cost of ownership on the table right out of the gate. Okay. It's, it's a little bit of shock and awe, but it's much better than, than having a number that you started with evolve to a bigger number as you make it down the journey. Now, they every we we've got an opportunity here okay when when i stood up i i stood up in 2013 yeah an e-commerce solution at, at a different company and, a, and an erp solution it wasn't as comprehensive as this one that we just did but it was pretty comprehensive yeah and we were looking at numbers well north of a million almost two million dollars all in for for the two to three year project this this was a quarter of that and so the, these platforms are much cheaper, so the objections are much less, right? It's one thing to show up with, with a tightly held company and say, I want to spend a half a million dollars. It's another thing to show up and say, I want to spend $2 million. So do your homework on the real cost and yeah. the real cost of ownership, present it transparently. And then the second thing, and, I, and I'm a big on transparency yeah. because you come out the back end much better, even if you have to fight some harder fights early on, yeah. is... Also make sure go live is not a destination for these platforms. Yeah. Go live is just a point of the journey. These to if if you're doing a more modest investment, you can still have tremendous digital outcomes and tremendous business business outcomes. A well done CRM or a well done e-commerce platform. But if you're doing something more comprehensive, yeah, you're talking years of work. Yeah, you're talking a lot of steps along the way. Yeah, and you're going to have to be prepared for the final question. That, that you have to answer. And this one, I suggest if you're the CEO or you're the executive that is making the case, yeah. that you make sure that you ask this question as well as you be prepared to answer this question. Yeah. What does success look like? Okay, in two, three years, we've stood these things up. We've taken some risks maybe in this particular case in the channel to market. Yeah. What does success look like for the couple years following this? Be prepared to answer that, but also ask that question and make sure the other stakeholders are prepared to answer that. Okay, amazing. So let's talk about the scenario that you just mentioned that let's say if I am the executive, I am trying to pitch to the board and initially I quoted maybe, you know, 500K. Obviously, if it is going to go to $2 million, nobody is going to be happy about it. You know, nobody likes to just invest in something that they cannot really see how this is going to work uh, and when they are going to get the results. Everybody wants immediate results from any of the investment. And, you know, when you talk to these software vendors, you mentioned that you did the demo, you spoke to a lot of different software vendors. I can almost guarantee this, though. Every single vendor is trying to get put in the door. Okay, so what they are going to pitch is, I can implement in $10,000, $30,000, $50,000, $100,000. So now, Considering this, that people are trying to get put in the door and that's going to grow. So how do you manage that risk when you are pitching to your executives that you know that these guys are actually trying to get put in the door? 
how do you number one uncover that you know they are going to get here and finally the cost is going to increase we all know that the cost is going to increase but if anybody does not know that they, they probably should know okay but by yeah. how much <laughs> Well, it's a great question. So you, 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 I'll tell you how I address this. But, but you, you really have two choices. You're, yeah. you're either gonna, you're either gonna put some contingency in your number, or you're gonna take the risk that you're gonna have to own the, the overcharge on it. But, but the, you know, and there should be some contingency in your number for sure. Yeah. But, but the, 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 the most important thing I think I can say to this is. Be prepared for the bumps in the road. I'll okay. give you a very specific example. Okay, yeah. we we chose the um, uh, we we chose the e-commerce platform, and the supplier was going to do the system integration work. And one of the reasons that we chose them is because they sent a senior executive, to your point, to pitch the fact that they were going to give us this platform and they were going to help us with the integration. Yeah. Okay. We then went. Uh, I, I signed that. I, I signed that agreement, a statement of work, at the end of December, which is, by the way, side note, great time to negotiate a software agreement yeah. is, is December 30th, even if you got to step out of family business. Yeah. So, so we went into discovery in in January and had a discovery meeting, a two day discovery meeting, and it was a disaster. It was absolute disaster. There was no way these guys were going to be able to do this. Yeah. So in real time, we paused the project. We went out and find an, an independent SI. Okay. We had to engage with that SI, go through another step of discovery, and then basically relaunch that project several months. Now, look, look at where I'm at. Just started, right? I'm several months behind schedule, and I've and I've and I've just spent twice on discovery. So, how do you handle that? Well, I had some contingency, but I also have to be transparent, and I think your credibility. You, you don't lose your credibility by being wrong. You lose your credibility when you don't own what's going on and have a solution for your situation. And in this particular case, we owned what was going on. I thought we had a great solution. We kicked off with the second SI and they were awesome. We ended up coming in pretty darn close to on budget and we ended up coming in pretty darn close to on time because we owned the initial mistake, made our adjustment, didn't try to hide from it. And then we said, okay, now team, we got some dollars and some time to make up this work to make it up. So let's discuss this in a little bit more detail. So obviously the SIs are going to try, you know, whatever they can try from their end. And in case of ERP implementations, the problem is not going to be just with the vendors because a lot of stakeholders are going to be involved. So let's talk about the scheduling. So your vendor is going to say, you know what, I am pitching for four months. I'm going to go this day and I'm going to finish on this day. Okay. If you're going to change that, that's a schedule change and I'm going to actually file uh, a change order. Right now, uh, you know, if you are in that situation now, if a decision is reliant on a specific key executive that you may have in your organization, in your case, I think you actually knew a lot about the business. So you could actually do, do a lot of heavy lifting. But that is not going to be the situation in, in most businesses. You know, you are going to have five executives involved and, you know, talk to your BP of sales. He's not going to be available for next month. So how do you make that decision on that process? So how do you handle the contingencies related to your vendors? Because they need to manage the schedule from their end because they are running billable resources. Those are really expensive. But then if you actually are not able to manage the expectation in your schedule, obviously you have to pay for that. So how do you manage this this uh, scheduling problem between the, the vendor and the customer? Two answers to that. First of all is you stand up a team. 
Okay. That is dedicated to the project. Okay. And you have executive sponsors that are a part of that team. All right. So, so I was an executive sponsor to the implementation team. I was not the project manager. And I had another executive sponsor and so who was the CFO of the company in that case. Yeah. And so we brought in people that were on different levels, you yeah. know, from data and analysis to, to marketing to operations, people that were on different levels. And, and we were able to put together a team. Now they, that they, we had to make sure that team was really supported, but the team didn't know what they don't know to your second point. So the second thing, and I would argue one of the most important personnel decisions you'll make on a digital transformation strategy and pro, uh, um, uh, um, program or, or project, pardon me, is the internal project manager. It is the whole key to the castle. You can't expect the SI to project manage your stuff. Yeah, they, 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 they. You'll be lucky if the SI, SI is my my experience, and you've been in this industry longer than I. SIs have great architects, great software architects, but project managers are hard to find, yeah. and really good ones are really hard to find. And so your internal project manager has to be able to make sure that the work you're doing on your side that you're responsible for is supporting the SI schedule because you can't hold them accountable if you're the problem. And often you underestimate how much work you have to do. I'll give you an example. Okay. The cleanliness of your data. Yeah. Okay. Water is super deep on that side of the pool, okay? It's a huge project to go through all the data you have and make sure that everything's ready to stand up onto this platform. Yet, if you show up at a milestone and you were supposed to have that data clean and you turn over whatever file you turn over and it's messed up, here's your change order, you know? And and the, and so you can't serve up opportunities for the system integrator and nothing against them. They're working yeah. by the hour yeah. and, you know, and they're spending real time. Yeah. So, so, so there's one thing here. A second I thing that you got to have a strong project manager. And if, and if it's, if it's a functional person like a CFO or whatever, that's fine, but make sure they understand the total process flow of the business. If they don't understand software implementations, you can work with that, I, they, they, but they have to really understand your business, how the business flows and how the customer flows for them to provide what's needed. And and uh, then the other thing I'll say is um, if you have to go outside and get support for your internal project management, it's well worth it. If you have to bring someone in, maybe you got a really good potential project manager, but they're yeah. light in a certain areas, go bring in someone who has that skill set. That's exactly what I did. I had a kit but project manager that I put in place, she had not done a stand-up of an e-commerce site. I got her some help. I got her someone who she could rely on to help her with that in addition to me. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Phil. So that's it for today. Do you have any last-minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Well, I just think that these times for mid-market companies are amazing. Two things are happening simultaneously. You've got these amazing digital tools when integrated that can are so powerful and they're affordable. But the teams don't know what they don't know. And and I see so many uh, potential clients and clients and businesses that I've run that are just making the same mistakes that they don't need to make. You can't rely on your SI. You can't rely on 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 a lot of folks around you, get some people around you that can ask the tough questions and that can just give you a health check 
on where you are on your digital strategy and your plans, because every one of these mistakes you can avoid if you ask and answer good questions up front. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be any of the transformation journey, whether you are doing just the business transformation, business model transformation, digital transformation, they all are going to have the same amount of risk. Technology is not supposed to be the magic wand. Okay, it is going to have all of those risks that you are going to have in any project that you are going to do. So do not underestimate technology. On that note, I really want to Thank you for your time, Phil. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Sam. A pleasure being with you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Phil Ringling Kerper, head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's R-I-N-G-L-I-N-G-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Rich Said, who describes his journey and the pitfalls of implementing six ERP projects throughout his career. Also, the interview with Andy Pradigal, who discusses why ERP demos are designed to deceive and why ERP salespeople are more incentivized to sell their products than the success of their customers. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.